0: I have this picture up here, and my brother-in-law sent this to me a few weeks ago. This is a church in Colorado, this is their sign, and I'll just give you a second to read that. There's two different ways to read that, isn't there? I don't think they quite knew it, and I just try to blur out the sign so you guys wouldn't know <laughs> what that church is, because it's a church here in Colorado. Um, we love hurting people. Yeah, you get it now? And I, I didn't really catch it. I'm sure that that would show up for you when you were in need. They didn't help you. They said the thing that hurt the most at the worst time. We have these experiences, don't we, where the church has been great and they've loved us when we're hurting and then they've also had the times where they have hurt us, right? So we want a church, be a church that actually helps hurting people. We want to be the church that is read the good way that you read that sign. And that's what the gospel does for us. If Jesus Christ died for us and did everything for us on the cross, how can we not then love others and serve others around us? And that's how the gospel is going to impact how we interact with the people around us in our church and in our world. So you're going to see as we go through this passage, there's a lot of applications. We've done all the theology now leading up to this point, the applications. How are we supposed to live now? And you're going to see this rhythm of bouncing back and forth that Paul uses in this section. There's going to be four points about you. What you individually need to do as a person. But then it's going to ba- bounce back right after there's one for you, there's going to be one for each other. How we interact with people in our community. And this passage just jumps back and forth and back and forth. I, I believe that's the mindset we're supposed to have. Okay, What are we supposed to do as individuals? Okay, Now what do we do in community? What are we supposed to do as uh, individuals? What are we supposed to do as community? It bounces back and forth. And I hope that you see this through these four points on either side and then one big idea that wraps it all up. So let's start in chapter 5, verse 25. We saw this verse last week. It said, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That verse summarized our last week's passage, that we're not supposed to follow our flesh, which is our in us as individuals apart from God, because that can get us into sin. And if we're Christians, we also have this thing called the Holy Spirit living inside of us, who leads us, and that's the way we're supposed to live. It creates this fruit inside of us so that we might grow as a person, Have love, joy, peace, patience. We talked about those attitudes that we can develop last week. So we close that off, and that was verse twenty five from last week, but it also sets us up now for this week because we're saying, okay, with the Spirit, how are you supposed to live as an individual, and how are supposed to you supposed to live in community? So let's look at verse twenty six for our first point. It says, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So it starts with the individual. You are not supposed to be conceited. You are not supposed to be prideful and think about yourself only. So our first point is that it's not about you. It's not about you. Don't be conceited and think that you're the most important one. That it's all about what you can achieve and do and and everybody else is supposed to be about you. No, that's conceit. That's pride. That's arrogance. Rick Warren, the first line of his book, The Purpose Driven Life, which is now one of the best-selling nonfiction books of all time, 32 million plus Books sold. He says, it's not about you. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. It's not about you. Don't become conceited and think it's all about you. It's not. It's about God and his purpose for you. And God tells us that we need to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. It's about God. It's about others, not about Us. So in 1543, there was the Copernican Revolution, right? When Copernicus figured out that actually the earth doesn't... Not everything revolves around the earth. The earth actually revolves around the sun. Our solar system revolves around the sun, right? The earth wasn't the center of everything. We need to have a Copernican Revolution in our lives where it's not about us as individuals. It's about God and about the others around us. We need to have that revolution in our soul. We are called to love God and love others. There's some practical things here. It says, do not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I think this is so interesting because I think that they go hand in hand. We provoke others. We provoke others by saying, hey, look at me. Conceited. It's all about me. Look at me. Look at the vacation I went on. We posted on Facebook, right? Post the Instagram of our perfect kids and rave about them on Instagram. So people see this beautiful life that we live. And we provoke them to be jealous, to be angry at them. We say, look at my great kids. Well, I don't have any kids. Or I have kids and they're terrible. <laughs> and I don't want to post that on Facebook, right? <laughs> no, we only post the great boasts the other way too. Because when we make these things our boast, what we're prideful in, they also become the things that we long for. We're jealous of others. Let me point this out. When you say, look how great my kids are, that becomes part of your identity. And now when your kids are starting to misbehave, because they're teenagers, no offense to teenagers, (laughs) I got some teenagers smiling, and then you see other kids behaving better, then you become envious of those other parents. Man, why aren't my kids like that? When we say, oh, look at my vacation, it becomes part of your identity. Oh, we go on great trips and do outstanding things. But then you're kind of struggling financially. You can't go on that vacation. You see this other person go on a better vacation than you went to. And you get this jealousy, this envy in your soul, right? Because you're making it all about you. It's all about you. But it's not about you. So we need to stop being conceited. It's about God and others. So that's the you, our first point. And now we're going to jump as a rhythm to the each other. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So immediately jumps from this you this application for you, to this application for each other. So our second point is to restore the sinner. These are for other Christians that have fallen into a sin that is wrecking their lives. We are supposed to restore that person gently. Two things I want you to notice. The purpose of this is to restore someone. We don't talk to someone about the sin in their life because we want to condemn them or hurt them. We do it to restore them and bring them back into a right relationship with God and with other Christians. We care about them. That's the purpose. It's not about, ugh, get out of our church. You're not good enough for us. No, we want them to have a right relationship with God. And the second thing, it says, do it gently. Sadly, this has been done way too many times in this church and in other churches harshly. Someone comes up to you, you don't belong here. Get out. That's sin itself. You think you're helping someone in their sin, but you are sinning because you're not doing it with gentleness, with love in your heart. There's just condemnation and judgment in your eyes. So we need to seek to restore the sinner, to do it gently. In James 5.20, Jesus' brother wrote, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So our job is to restore other people, to love them, In gentleness, talk with them. And this should not be done harshly. And Jesus kind of gave three steps for doing this in Matthew chapter 18. You can read this passage on your own. And he said what you're supposed to do is first go individually to a person. You're supposed to go individually in confidence. You're not supposed to go gossip about what that other person did. You're supposed to go individually and say, hey, here's this thing, um, this is what's going on. And, And if you go individually and the person says, yeah, you know, I really messed up. I did something awful. That's as far as it needs to go. You need to pray with that person, encourage them, and help them forward. But if that person says, I don't care, I I think I was right, it's not sin, then, Jesus said, then you bring another person to them, and if they still aren't repentant, then you bring the whole church, it says, to talk to that person and say, we want to restore you, we don't want you living in this sin. And all of this is done, of course, with gentleness. Jesus also gave an instruction about this too, didn't he? He said, before you take the sawdust out of someone else's eye, what are you supposed to do? Take the plank out of your own. Most of us are walking around with this big two-by-four in our eyeball, whacking people where we're walking around. We don't even realize our huge sin that everybody else sees, and we're going up to someone else, oh, this little thing that you're doing wrong. No, 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 we need to pray and look at ourselves, and we'll talk about that in just a second. We need to do this in gentleness, in prayer, looking at ourselves first, but we do need to restore each other. We're commanded to do that. That's what we're supposed to do in community. So we've looked at you, there's been one application, then bounced over to one application for each other, and now we're going to bounce back. The second half of verse 1, Paul writes, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. So watch yourself. It's the third point. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. You know, when someone uh, falls into the ice, okay? They're, they're out on the ice on a lake and they fall in underneath the water, if you aren't careful, you will fall in too, Right? That's why when you, when you go out there, it's just as easily. I think this also happens because that may not be the sin we're tempted with. The person that they're struggling with this thing. So we go to restore them, but what I think happens in our minds, we see this person, and we think, I would never do that in a million years. I can't believe they did that. What I'm doing isn't quite as bad. Right? That's a small sin compared to their sin. So we let ourselves get away with this sin. That's how we fall into temptation. Or, or we see this person having an affair or, or leading into divorce and we say, well, man, that's happening all the time. It's so common. It's really not that big of a deal if I do it. We get sucked in and fall into this sin. Students, you see other people cheating on their tests all the time. and You think, if I just cheat this one time, I haven't studied. It, it's okay, right? I'm not doing it all the time. All of a sudden, boom, we have fallen into sin as well. So we need to watch ourselves. We need to watch ourselves. 1 Corinthians 10.12, Paul wrote, So watch yourself. The person who thinks he can stand against sin had better watch that he does not fall into sin. It's the pride we think that we're okay, that we don't have that sin, and then, boom, we have fallen just as easily. Each one of us is capable of gross, heinous sin. We are. And we need to watch ourselves and be careful, always watchful. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter wrote, Be alert. Be on watch. Your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We've got to be careful. The enemy wants to take us out. So that's our third point it's for you. We've had two for you and one for each other. But now we're going to jump back again, of course, to each other. Verse 2, Paul writes, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. It's not about us, it's right, it's about others. We are supposed to carry each other's burdens. So our next point is to serve each other. To serve each other. You see someone else struggling, it's our job to go help that person. That's why we talked about restoring someone in their sin. It's hard. Someone might have a genetic predisposition to sin, And it's harder for them. It's way easier for them to give into that sin than it would be for you. So we need to go help them out. We need to help them out. We need to serve others. Um, This this also goes into the fact with um, making laws. We've talked about this when we've talked about the freedom that we have in Christ. As Christians, we like to make extra rules. In order to be a good Christian, you have to do this and this and this. And we expect everyone else to fulfill these extra rules and laws. But Jesus warned against this in Matthew 23, 4. He said, the Pharisees pile heavy burdens on people's shoulders and won't lift a finger to help. That's not what we're supposed to do. Instead, we're supposed to see people with a burden on their back and say, how can I help you? How can I encourage you? You're in a really tough spot right now. Your dad just died. How can I help you? How can I encourage you? Can I make a meal for you? What can we do to lift that person up, to lift their burden? Because sometimes life is just so heavy, isn't it? We need others to help us do it. So we've had two now for you, applications, two for each other, and now we're going to jump back, of course, to you. Catching this rhythm that Paul has? verse 4 he says, Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now you should notice the interesting point. You just Paul just said carry each other's loads, and now he says carry your own load. We're gonna get back to that because it seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? But it's not. It's not. But the point here, this uh, next point, is that we need to focus on yourself. Uh, didn't I just tell you not to focus on yourself? Yeah. Don't focus on yourself and making it all about you and arrogance. But we do need to see that God has told us to do something. He has called us to be a father or a mother, to um, uh, work in a certain vocation. He's called us to be a spouse and all these different things he's called us to. That's the burden he's put on our shoulders. We need to carry that. It's our responsibility to do what God has called us to do. So so that reason in the beginning of verse 4 he said, Test your own actions. We shouldn't need somebody to come up to us. So so this means, like we said, you've got to remove the plank from your own eye. This means that we need to provide for ourselves and for our families financially, not rely on other people. This means that we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to convict us so somebody else doesn't have to do it for you. It also said we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to others. Isn't this one of our greatest sins? Social media has made it way worse. Because we see everybody else's houses and we see their jobs and their careers and all this stuff. And we think, man, I wish I had that. You know, even we get a moment of contentment and then we drive by that big house in Park Hill. Oh, I wish I could live there. Why do those people get that? We, we compare ourselves so much, don't we? And, and that's wrong. We, we need to focus on ourselves and say, I've got to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to live within the means that God has given me to live within. I need to not worry about someone else's sin because I have my own sins to deal with. And I can't be comparing myself and say, hey, I'm way better than that person. I've got it going on compared to you. No, no. We say, i got to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm judged by the standard God has given me, not he's given to someone else. So, So what is the thing that you need to focus on? What is the burden that you alone are supposed to carry? And now, there's an application for you. We're going to bounce back again for each other, for community. The next one, in verse 6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. So, Paul just said, you need to provide for yourself. You need to carry your own burden, right? But now he's saying, actually, you're also supposed to provide for your spiritual leaders. Provide for your spiritual leaders. You know, in the Old Testament, God commanded his people to bring their cows and their goats and all their animals because that's what the priests would eat. You know, they'd do the sacrifice and then they'd take some cuts of the meat and the priests would eat. I don't think most of you are going to bring in cattle for me. Actually, in Nebraska, people would bring us in cuts of meat and steaks and everything. It was great. If you want to do that, that's awesome. But this also means financially. Financially. Um, Our church runs on contributions from you from your giving and your generosity. Um, So that's why God commands us to give. In 1 Corinthians 9.14, we read, The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Myself, our staff, everything we do as a church is provided by you. It's provided by you. And there's two ways that this happens, through tithes. That word literally means a tenth. And God is saying, I want you to take this proportion of your income and give it to me. Because really, I give you everything. So you need to start with this. When I counsel couples that I'm meeting with, premarital counseling and that kind of stuff, we always have to talk about budget, because finances are one of those issues you got to talk about, couples. <laughs> and I say, okay, make your budget, take 10% off the top, give it to God. You don't even get to touch that. Then, what I also encourage them is to take 10% for themselves into savings, retirement, and then live on the 80. Okay, You don't base your budget and your living based on your complete Uh, amount that you're getting. Okay, make it off that 80%. Or, you know, you could talk with a financial advisor and they might give you different percentages. But the point is that you live, you you give that 10% first to God. So that's the first thing with tithes. The second thing is with offerings. There are going to be times where you say, I want to give above and beyond to support this person, to do this special task. So I'm going to give an offering to God. This is just completely out of the joy of my heart. Did you know that a survey of over 30,000 U.S. households found that those families that donated to charity compared to those who didn't were 43% more likely to say they were very happy. It's not about how much you pull in. John Piper wrote, No amount of getting can satisfy the soul until it overflows in giving. You're not going to be happier if you get that raise or you get that better job or you make more money and you pay less taxes. No, no, no. The way to true happiness is by giving away what you have. It's more blessed to give than to receive, Jesus said. So if you're saying here and you're saying, well, Matt, I don't have very much. I don't have very much. That's okay. Start with a percentage and build up. God how much you give. I I don't need to know. Nobody else needs to know. And, And that tithe percentage, 10%, it's between you and God how much you want to give. What percentage... For some of you, 10%, you're like, I can't do that right now, but I can give 5%. Some of you give 10% and that's virtual leaders. But there's uh, another point now for you. There's another point for you. Because it's verse 7, it says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, I just came from Nebraska moving here, so I knew all about planting and harvesting. Uh, I had to learn it. I didn't know before I went there. I was a city kid. But I went out there, and and I learned pretty quickly, whatever you reap in the spring, spending all your time planting, in the fall is what you're going to harvest. So if you plant your corn or your soybeans in the spring, in the fall, what are you going to get? Corn, soybeans. When you plant your tomatoes in your backyard garden, what are you going to get? Tomatoes. But if you take a dandelion head and blow it all over your yard, what are you going to get? Dandelions, you're going to get a whole bunch of weeds. Whatever you reap, you sow. Whatever you plant comes back. So in the same way as we live our lives, if we live our lives apart from God in the flesh, and we do things just for ourselves selfishly, we're going to reap, it says, destruction. You've already gotten your reward in full. But if we do things for God, if we do things to serve others, to love others, to give generously, we will reap a harvest, sometimes in this life, but also in the life to come. We only live 70, 90 years, you know. We're going to live trillions of years plus in eternity, which is more important. Let's store up rewards in heaven. So we need to work for your reward. That's our next point. Work for your reward. And if you're thinking, well, Matt, that kind of seems selfish, but actually, God wants us to seek a reward. In fact, that's the definition of faith. That they seek God and, and seek his reward. It tells us that in Hebrews 11.6. Part of faith is seeking what God has for us. Because he wants to be our source of joy. He wants us to be our source of, of treasures. Not the world. And we can store it for ourselves. This great reward as we give. As we serve. And as we live our lives out for other people. You reap what you sow. So let's reap good things, not dandelions. Okay? That's our last point for you, but we have one more for each other. In our last verse, in verse 10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we are commanded to do good to everyone, and especially for the church. There's a special significance about the community we have together as a church, as other believers But we're supposed to do good to all people. Do good to all. Did you notice how it says, as we have opportunity? Have you ever had these moments in your life and you think, "Well, there's so many needs in the world. How could I help those starving children in India? How can I um, help people on sex trafficking? How could I do this and this and this? And you think, I can't do it all. Well, you can't. But as you have opportunity, what you can do, what God has placed before you, do it. That's why the good Samaritan was the one who helped the person he saw on the side of the road. So what we see, what we can do individually, that's what we're supposed to do. John Wesley wrote, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Summarizes this verse pretty well. Do good to all, especially other believers. So will you do good? It can be simple things such as opening a door for someone, giving up your seat on a bus, giving someone a ride who's in need, cooking a meal. These are simple ways that we can do good for others and you guys can think of a million trillion ways to do good in your own lives for the people around you. Will you do good to all? So now we've gotten four points, right? Four points for you, four points for each other. Bounce back and forth and back and forth. I want you to get this rhythm because it's focus on yourself and what you're supposed to do And and be humble. And then you focus on what you're supposed to do for others. that's what we do as Christians. We don't live our lives alone. We're responsible for ourselves, but we're also responsible for others. Now, I told you I'd talk about that seeming contradiction. In verse 2, we were commanded, carry each other's burdens. And in verse, so each one should carry their own load. So which one is it? Carry each other's burden or carry your own load? Well, it's both. Both. And that's going to be our big idea today. That you are responsible for you. No one's going to live. what I gave you. That task I gave you, that responsibility, that career that I put you in. Did you serve me faithfully there? But we are also responsible to help those around us. Nobody's going to carry your burden for you. You've got to do it. But we also are supposed to help each other with their burdens, right? It's both of these things at the same time. Uh, you may recognize this picture from one of my um, favorite books and movies, The Lord of the Rings. Um, I have this scene here because at the end, you know, Frodo was the hobbit that was tasked with taking the ring to Mordor, to destroying that evil ring and, and freeing the land. It was his task, his responsibility. And yet, that didn't stop his friend Sam from helping him along the way. Let's check out this scene. Once and for all, come on, Mr. I can't carry it for you, but I can't carry you! Come on! Don't you love that scene? Because Frodo had a task. He had to carry his own burden. But that didn't stop Sam from helping him carry it, did it? That's what we're supposed to do for each other. We carry our own burden. We do what God has called us to do. But we also help out other people around us. So there will be a time when you stand before Jesus and he will say to you, Okay, I gave you a load. Did you carry it? And we can't say, Well, I didn't get enough help. My pastor didn't teach me to do that. I didn't have friends that encouraged me. When Jesus says, I called you to live righteously, did you? You can't say, well, I did better than him. When you stand before Jesus and he says, were you faithful in that trial through that suffering? You can't say, well, the pastor didn't visit me at the hospital, so I left the church. We can't say any of those things because we are responsible for the burden God has given us. But at the same time, we're responsible to help others around us. So will we help others too? Say, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, but I'm also going to help you. Because that looks heavy. It's a hard job that you're going through. A hard uh, season of your life that I'm going to help you through. And you know what? This can be wearying. Some of you are maybe even weary as I, as I talk about these things. Because you've been saying, hey, I, people have been taking from me for so long. I had a lady after last week's message say, I just feel like people are taking and taking and taking and taking from my life. Nobody gives back to me. I said, yeah, sometimes it feels that way. It's a burden. We're helping other people carry their burdens. Who's helping me? And that's why in verse 9 it says, Let us not become weary. This is going to be difficult. It's a lifetime task that we're given. But we are taught in Hebrews 12.3 to consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When we think about our own burden and the burdens of others around us, we need to say, look at Jesus and what he did. Because Jesus was given a task by his Father. And Jesus did it perfectly. He loved others. He served others. His twelve disciples, even when they were idiots, he put up with them. And then, on top of carrying his own burden, he went to the cross to carry ours. In Isaiah 53 we read, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus carried our burden on the cross again and again and again. He was righteous when we were unrighteous. He did everything for us by dying on the cross. He carried our burden us to our left and to our right and say, I'm going to help you carry yours. You are responsible for you, but you're also, come up and lead us in one final song. Um, Before we do that, I have to do an announcement, and I know we have some guests here, but we have to talk about some business here at our church, and I want to be open and upfront about things that are going on. I feel as the leader, I've only been here a couple months, but I've been given a burden and a task. Sometimes I feel like, hey, well, I didn't make these decisions in the past, but it's my job now to carry them. And thank you. For some time now, um, our church has been spending more money than we've been taking in. And it's now put us in a position where we are precarious financially. So, for a few weeks, I've been diving as deep as I can into the financials, try to understand it, because I'm new here. I didn't want to have to make changes in the first six months, but I have to. I have to do some things so that we can be healthy and sustainable financially going forward. I've been working with the elders. We've been meeting regularly to, to figure out how we can do this best. So I want to inform you about our plan moving forward, and we're calling it Forward Faster. Forward Faster, because right now, the position we're in, we can't do some new things. We're kind of burdened by what's going on and burdened by some debt. And we don't want to do that. We want to move forward faster. Because I have big dreams here. Um, I think God has called me here. This is the the task he's given me. And I think God has big plans for this church to reach our community, to see people come to know Christ, to see lives transformed. If we want to do that, We want to help people follow Jesus. We're going to have to make some tough decisions now. So here's three ways that we are working as hard as we can to combat this financial position we're in. The first thing, we're going to have to trim some of the fat in our budget. There are um, several big and uh, many smaller things that we've done to the budget so that we can get lean. We're saying, hey, these things have been luxury in the past, nice to do, but we can't do them right now. We have to get lean if we want to move forward faster. So some things you'll notice, some things you probably will never notice that you didn't know, but maybe the hardest thing, the hardest decision we're having to make right now is that um, our band is going to be moving on. Right now, Conexion Band um, has been with us for almost a year, and they have done an amazing job serving us faithfully. Um, But we're going to have to switch to a volunteer band to move forward. And I've told these guys they are amazing. Um, They have served us faithfully and professionally and done an incredible job here at our church. Um, but because of financial reasons we 're having to move forward in a different direction. So this means that next Sunday will be our, our bands, band 's Connexion Bands last week with us. So in between the two services we 're going to have a special time where we can thank them and encourage them. So make sure you 're here for that we 're going to just try to send them off well because they have been so faithful, so professional, and served us so well. Um, so could we just give them a hand for all that they 've done for us? <clears throat> Part of this means a lot of the things we're paying for right now, we're going to be looking for volunteers to step up and help with. So if you are an instrumentalist or you want to help lead the band some way, let me know. We're looking for people right now, and we've been working on that. I want to let you know that moving forward, I and our elder board will be faithful stewards of the money that you entrust us with. I can't speak for all decisions that have been in the past, but I can say from here on out, we are going to live within our means You have to do it at a home budget. We have to do that at our church, too. We're not going to spend more than we take in. So we're going to do that under my leadership moving forward because we have to get lean if we want to move forward faster. The second thing we're going to do is that we're going to eliminate our debt. We have a plan for this that we're uh, putting into place. But over the past few years, the church has built up some credit card debt. And if you know anything about debt, that's one of the worst kinds. So we're going to seek as quickly as we can to eliminate that, because that has been a burden slowing us down moving forward. Now, I do want to point out that we own this building free and clear. We don't owe anything on that, no loans on that, which is an amazing position to be in as a church. But we have this credit card debt that we need to get rid of. The third thing is that we're going to do whatever we can to increase giving. So that's why we're encouraging some of you to tithe. Maybe you haven't been a tither. Maybe it's time to start. Uh, Maybe you have been tithing, but you say, I want to give a little bit more in this time. We encourage you to do that as well. We're also looking at the ways we rent our facility and how our preschool runs so that we can um, make them more efficient. So going along with this is we are starting this campaign forward faster because we want to raise an additional $50,000. We're making some cuts. And if we just do that, we're going to be healthy. We're going to be sustainable moving forward. But there's some things we need to do, and I I want pain to raise an additional $50,000 over the next several months so we can move forward faster. This is what your money would do if you want to give, and this would immediately jettison all of our debt. That $50,000 would take care of all of that and get rid of it, and we'd move into the future without any debt. The second thing is we need to paint the outside of our building. Right now the paint is chipping, and it's a health hazard, and we have kids here throughout the week for preschool and on Sundays, and we want to get rid of that. We want this to be a healthy place, so we need to paint. The bill. enable us to move forward with a new identity. So we're looking at working with graphic designers to um, do a new logo, a new rebranding so that we can move forward as a church, leave some of the identity in the past we've had and move forward. It's also going to help us, as a fourth thing, create a new website. Because a lot of you, before you came here, you checked out our website to find our service times. The website is the new front door to the church. And it's important to maintain that if we want to grow and lead people to Christ. So those are some things, and there will be others, that your money, this gift for $50,000 that we're seeking to raise over the next few months, will enable us to do. So we are asking you to give above and beyond. So I have some ushers here in the back, and they're going to pass out a little card that we have. I didn't bring mine up here with me. A little card, and it's going to talk about three ways that you can contribute to our church moving forward. Now, if you're a guest, this isn't for you. Okay, we want you to just come and hang out with the Barbecue. I'm sorry about this. And I I, I told the first service, you know, I wasn't planning on making any changes for the first six months here. I didn't want to have to do anything big. But because of our situation, I have to. So we're looking for ways to give three ways. Because some of you say, I don't have any more money I can give. I totally understand. But maybe you can give your time or your talents. So that's what we have here on this form. Ways that you can serve with your time, ways that you can serve with your talents, the gifts God has given you. And the third way, if you can, give your treasures, to give financially to our church. So we have some ways that we're looking for. Like I mentioned, um, we're looking for people in the band, but there's also a lot of different ways to serve. Somebody's already, a couple of people have s- stepped up to mow our lawn, so we don't have that expense. People have s- stepped up to clean the church weekly. And a lot of these ways will save us money so that we can be healthy moving forward financially. So I hope that you guys will prayerfully consider this. If you would take this, if you're ready to, write on that form right now. We're going to be collecting the offering and you can just throw it in the plate today. If you're like, I know I want to give. I know how much I want to give. Do it today. But if you're saying, I need to think about this and pray about this, that's good. That's what you're supposed to do. It's between you and God, right? So I want you to take it home, talk about it with your spouse, pray about it, and see how you can serve, whether it's with your time, your talents, or your treasure. So guess, once again, there's no pressure on you guys. This is for us as a church to come together, right? And we're going to do this because God does have big plans for this church. He wants us to go into the future um, healthy financially but also able to impact a lot of lives. So we're going to do this together and, and together we're going to trim the fat, we're going to jettison our debt so we can move forward faster. We've got to get lean if we want to move forward faster. So let's pray. Lord God, You have given us a task. You have called us to reach Northeast Denver for Christ. And individually, we all have tasks as well. And as we come together in this church, I pray that you would show to each one of us as individuals what we are called to do, what our burden is that you have placed on our shoulders. And give us the strength with your spirit to serve faithfully. Let us remember that your son Jesus did everything for us, carrying our burden on the cross so that we also might serve and love others. I pray right now as we move forward with these difficult cuts that we're having to do and difficult decisions we're having to make that you would give us your spirit and your grace. And Lord God, I do pray that you provide all that we need and more so that we can move forward in a healthy way into the future. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.